My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill City. If you're joining us for one of the first few times, uh, I wish I could be seeing you in person today, but I'm so glad that you decided to join us here digitally. We're glad to have you, and I uh, hope you could come to our block party this afternoon. There's also going to be a way you can join from our Facebook page live on the Steph Cam, okay? Three Stephs, one cam. You can join us at the block party even if you can't physically come. So just check that out right here where you're watching this right now. We'll be there live. Um, so we're continuing a conversation that we are in called, How Do We Live? How do we live? And we're going through these letters that the Apostle Paul, an early leader in the church, wrote to these young churches in the very beginning of the, the movement to follow Jesus. And so we have been going through the entire Bible or the entire New Testament this year. So starting in the beginning of 2020, we said, what if we were to go through the whole New Testament and we see all these ways that the Old Testament is pulled through the New Testament and, and we're going to say, okay, let's let the story of Jesus guide and define the storylines of our lives in 2020. And we knew there was going to be a lot happening in 2020. We had no idea how much was going to be happening in 2020, but I am so grateful that we decided to say, what does it look like to let the story of Jesus guide our storylines? And so that is really what this how do we live conversation is about. So this, this week we're on the book of Colossians or the letter to the church in Colossae. Okay, so this is, uh, this is the short letter. So if you have a Bible or a phone where you could get it on an app, Turn to Colossians because it's just four chapters and I'm going to kind of talk through the overview of it and focus in on some verses uh, along the way. Um, and I, I'm excited for us to have this conversation and to continue to dig into this question of how do we live based on some of the challenges that the folks here in Colossae were facing. So the first thing that I want to say though is nobody picked my favorite sport for the Olympics uh, as far as I can tell. I was looking through the feed. I didn't see anybody else pick mine. I saw some pretty sassy things said about golf. And so some people might be taking that personally, but we're peacemakers here, so let's work it out. But I will say that uh, last time when the Summer, Olymp Summer Olympics happened, I'm, I'm actually pretty sad about them not being there because I like to switch between different sports to keep my interest. But last time, there was a sport that I had never heard of, and it was called the steeplechase. If you have heard of the steeplechase, some of you have, but if this is your first time, let me know in the chat. If this, you're someone who's like, I can't believe you don't know about this, then let me know in the chat. But apparently this is this, this track, but not only do you run around the track, but you have to overcome these obstacles. You have to jump over these huge barriers. You have to jump into what they call water, like water jumps. And uh, it's crazy. So in like a 3,000 meter steeplechase course, you will have 28 barriers and seven water jumps. I looked it up. And so I actually, for some of you who are thinking, I really don't know what you're talking about. How does this look? I brought a video for you. It's very short. And I want you to pay attention to the third guy in this steeplechase race. Check it out. Those are bigger than a normal hurdle. Okay. Oh, yep. But he gets up. He's going. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. Uh, maybe some of you, this is your first moment watching steeplechase. Welcome. Welcome to... This sport, I, I think it says a lot about me in a weird way that I like this sport so much, so we'll just move on from that. But I will say that I resonate with that third guy right now. I feel like every day there's a chance that I'm gonna have to jump over a huge hurdle and that I might totally face plant, face plant into the water and I gotta figure out how to get back up. So if you feel like that, then maybe you're with me. I think sometimes right now as we're facing this pandemic and so many other crises, uh, as far as the, the things going on globally and, and then many things that are going on in your life personally, I know many of your stories, I think it feels like a steeplechase race sometimes where you don't know, I mean, how many barriers are we gonna face and how many water jumps? Maybe this is what it feels like for you. I'm sure that I'm not the only one though, regardless of your Olympic sport <laughs> that you might love. I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels like 
You have to have the stamina of an Olympic athlete to make it through some of these strange days that we're facing. Does anybody else feel like that? Some of these trials, some of these things we're facing. And so here, Paul is writing to this church, these Colossians, and saying to them uh, that he wants to encourage them, but here he is writing from prison. So we know a number of these letters he's writing to these people from prison. And he is trying to say to them uh, how he understands that they're going through these trials and these struggles uh, because he is experiencing one as well. And so to those he's been writing to, he says he sees what's going on in their life. Here's some of the struggles, just if I was going to give an overview. They're feeling pulled in different directions. It's making it difficult for them to truly be faithful to Jesus. All these things are going on around them that are pulling their hearts away from being faithful to Jesus. And they're living in fear of what feels like evil around them that's going to, to come at them from different corners. That sounds to me so much like what some of us are facing right now. So if you were Paul and people were facing these struggles, you're in prison, uh, what would you say to them? What would you say to these people that you love, that you care about? He actually hasn't met these people, but he knows of them. He's been praying for them. What would you say to them? And then you're in prison, no less, and so you're trying to write to them. So what I think they'd be asking is this question, how do we live? How do we live in the face of trials and pressure? How do we live? And here Paul is trying to encourage them. So let's look at what he does to try to encourage them in this short letter that he writes to the church. He starts in chapter 1, which I think this is a great way to start out a letter of encouragement, by just telling them they're doing a good job. They're doing a good job. They're trying to be faithful to God. They're loving their neighbors the best they can, even though they're facing trials and struggles. And I feel like that's maybe a word to some of us today. That as we're going through the things that we're experiencing, we need to acknowledge in our life that we're doing the best that we can. You're trying to stay faithful to God. You're trying to live for Jesus. You're trying to love other people well. And I just think some of us need to recognize God sees you. And God is with you in that. And I think that's why Paul starts this letter off that way. Because sometimes we just need to be reminded that we're doing the best we can. And we need to just keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if we come up against a hurdle. The next thing that Paul does is share this really beautiful poem that reminds the people of who Jesus is. Paul's always people, bringing people back to Jesus because Jesus had changed his life so powerfully and he knew that the spirit of Jesus could change their life. And so this poem is about just how powerful and wonderful Jesus is and why Jesus is worth following. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves just how powerful and wonderful Jesus is and why Jesus is worth following because we feel that pull and these other things pulling at us in our lives. And then Paul says something interesting as he's in prison. He says, you know, it's, it's only because the, the, of what Jesus has gone through and Jesus' suffering that Paul feels that he can deal with the suffering he has in his life. He says even further, not only knowing that Jesus suffered helps him suffer, but he feels like it's almost a way that he can identify or join in the suffering that Jesus went through on his behalf. And so in a way, he says, this is good. I'm learning about what this suffering means. And so he's talking about this in this letter. Paul was in prison because he had been courageous to share the news that Jesus, the Messiah, is bringing together a new multi-ethnic family. And that concept, that Jesus is bringing together this new multi-ethnic family, this new humanity, is a threat to the people who want to keep their power. And we still see today the length that people will go and they feel like their power or their privilege is threatened, don't we? The same thing was happening then. And Paul points out this reason that we... He, the people he was writing to in Colossae, and us, the reason that we can make it through this suffering is because Jesus lives in us and through us. Jesus lives in and through his international family. Paul says in chapter 1, I'll just read two verses, 28 and 29. He, Jesus, 
is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may be present, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Man, some of us need all the energy that Christ could work in us right now. I love this idea of, of wisdom and presenting everyone as mature, wise and mature. They're under all this pressure, but the goal is to be wise and mature, even in the midst of the pressure that they're facing. Maybe even because of it, they need that wisdom and they need that maturity. So then in chapter two, Paul acknowledges that the pressure that these, these folks are facing is twofold, okay? So you can think about the pressures that we're facing. Some of us know those. We wouldn't have to take time to list them off. But let me tell you the two pressures that this church is facing right now. They're facing, uh, first, this, this reality that the people around them were worshiping all of these false gods. They were in an area and in a city that had a lot of idols, is the term that they would use back then. But all these false gods. And so it was very tempting for them to worship what they saw the people around them worshiping. Now, I would say I resonate that with that in our culture, though. Like, we don't necessarily have statues of little idols that represented Apollos or the things that were happening in ancient Greece. But what we have is seeing people worship things. Everybody worships something, right? And so we see people worshiping these things all around us, and it's hard for us not to join in in that way. It's almost hard for us to realize that we might even actually be putting something in a place of worship in the first place. It's such a strong pull. And so Paul is telling them, you can't just add Jesus as like a bonus add-on God to your God collection. That's not going to go. And so they're facing all of this pressure, and he's saying, Jesus has to be your one true leader, your one true God. These other gods don't have anything to offer you. And then they were, secondly, they were facing this other pressure, and that was to live into these legalistic laws that they had come to understand legalistically. I don't think that's how they were designed, but to earn God's favor. These, these laws had for a long time been a part of the worldview of those who were following Jewish laws and practices. And so they were really stuck on, okay, we understand this love from Jesus. We understand what he did. We understand forgiveness and grace, but we're still going to do these things to earn God's favor, right? That legalism was just overwhelming them. But Jesus came to fulfill these laws. So you don't need to earn God's approval anymore through this legalistic ritual in that way. So yes, be obedient to Jesus and live your life in ways that, that honor him and follow him. But legalism is also failing to see that Jesus is truly God, the God that saves. And so they were having these two pressures pulling at them. And Paul expresses to them that these things pulling at them are keeping them from being all in. It's keeping them from truly surrendering their lives, their whole lives to Jesus. They've got these other gods in one hand and they've got this legalism in the other and people are dealing with all of these things, but they need to surrender these things and they need to say to Jesus, we want to be all in. I want to zero in on what Paul says in the next chapter, chapter three. Uh, let me read it for you in two versions. The first is going to be the NIV and then the second is going to be the message paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. So I'll do the NIV first and talk about it for a second, but then we'll jump over to the Eugene Peterson version. So Colossians 3, one through four. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. God is doing something life-changing here is what Paul's trying to say. Trading in the old life for the new, like we talked about a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the book of Ephesians. And that was true for the church in Colossae then, and it's true for us now. 
we can trade in the old for the new. Paul talks about how we're all getting a new life individually, but it's not just about our individual lives, but that together we're being built into this new humanity that I talked about a minute ago. Tim Mackey, the guy that's the Bible Project guy, our buddy, he's not really our buddy yet, but Tim, if you're listening, call us. We want to be your friend. But he, uh, he says it this way. He says, this new humanity transcends the ethnic and social boundary lines of our world. This new humanity transcends the ethnic and social boundary lines of our world. That was certainly radical back then, and I think we can see how radical a concept that is now, to transcend the boundaries that we put in our life. This is who Jesus is, tearing down those walls. So uh, perhaps some of you have heard verses 2 and 3 before. Maybe you memorized it or something like that in your life, or maybe you've seen it on someone's wall. Uh, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So maybe you've heard that. Your hearts and your minds should be set on things above, Maybe you've even been encouraged not to focus on earthly things. But sometimes I don't know if we know exactly what Paul is intending on talking about there. What do we mean by things above? What do we mean by earthly things? We are living on earth right now. For a long time in my life, I thought that it meant that we were supposed to not think about anything we could see and just think about heaven, okay? Think about uh, a cloud and we're floating and we're singing, I think. That's what I always pictured in that part of my life. And we're hoping to get there someday. And so maybe if I think about that and I look up to the sky and think about being out of this world and just away from all of this, that that would help. Like I thought maybe that's what set your mind on things above meant. But now I've come to learn, and I hope many of you, we talk about this here a lot, but that the word heaven is best to be thought of as where God is fully present. And yes, someday Jesus is going to come back to this earth and be fully present in a way that is going to be completely restored. And so heaven is more of this concept of wherever we are fully present with God. And people who have been uh, followers of Jesus who've gone on and left this earthly life are fully present with God. But someday God's going to come back to this place and be fully present. This is what we're waiting for, this hope. But for a long time, I had been really influenced by this idea that at some point I'm going to float away in the sky and to this place in the clouds that I was describing, rather than this this future hope of Jesus returning, yeah, maybe through the clouds, but coming back to bring heaven on earth. And and it didn't really include this idea that Jesus was breaking in, Jesus' kingdom is breaking in all around us right now. Uh, and, and, And maybe you've been influenced by that way of thinking too, but I have to say this new way of thinking that has influenced the last 15 years of my life, looking for what God is doing all around me, the kingdom of God breaking into my everyday life, has changed my life. And, and I, I feel like I tried to do that thing before where I would just kind of imagine escaping, right? Like maybe we do that. That's maybe not, you know, the worst thing ever, but just kind of imagining that we're not where we are because it's so terrible. And I don't know, it just doesn't work. After a while, you have to just keep dealing with what's happening in front of your life, right? Is this really what Paul meant to just think about, like not think about anything going on around you and actually just try to think about escaping? I don't think that's what he meant. And that's why I want to read this Eugene Peterson version because I think it helps us, any of us who were like me, influenced by this uh, get out of here fast uh, idea, it'll help us with this depth of meaning. So let me read this paraphrase about not escaping our lives, but about living our lives presently, even when we're facing pressure. Listen to this version. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, 
even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too, the real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. So I think this verse 2 really helps us understand what Paul is trying to encourage the Colossians. He's saying to them, actually, think about what God is doing right around you right now. Don't get absorbed in those earthly things like these idols and this legalism, but look for what Jesus' spirit is doing around you. It isn't about God's kingdom far away, but God's kingdom coming in our midst now. I love that. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See it from his perspective. And as I've been praying for uh, all of us and praying in my own personal devotion li devotional life over this last, I'd say maybe like a month, I feel like something that, that God has been giving to me is this phrase. Every once in a while when I'm praying, I just listen and say, God, is there something you want to say? And the thing that God keeps saying to me for about a month is, eyes up. Keep your eyes up. And at first I thought maybe it was just about my phone, which it might actually be about my phone. Okay, <laughs> partly, <laughs> all right? Like uh, that image of your eyes to the ground shuffling along, like I'm the person that's going to get hit by a car at some point, so I'm working on that. I'm really working on it. But we get so absorbed, don't we? with our eyes down on whatever it is. And yeah, sure, maybe it's the latest news on our phones. Maybe it's whatever's going on in somebody else's life. Or we're looking down at our hands and seeing what we have and we don't want to lose it or what we don't have. We're looking down at our fear and our confusion and it's leading to this discouragement and this apathy. But God keeps saying to me, keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes up. I think that's more uplifting than mask up Mill City. How about eyes up Mill City? We're going to do the masks, but how about Eyes Up Mill City? I know the Mask Up Minnesota billboards are like, yay, uh. So eyes up. This is positive. Eyes up, Mill City. What is God doing right around you? Don't miss it. All right, do I have any uh, fans of the show Friday Night Lights? Okay, if you are, put that, in, put that into the chat. I want to know who it is. Um, let me know on Facebook or YouTube. And I didn't watch it until the whole show was over. It was in this long list of shows that apparently it was... I grievously missed out on before I met my husband, JD, and then it was quickly corrected as soon as we met the shows that I must watch that I apparently was, I don't know, doing something too serious and not actually enjoying myself. And actually, the other day, JD said to me, he said, I'm really proud of your growth in watching television. <laughs> and um, I think he meant it as a compliment, and I didn't have the heart to say out loud what I was thinking, which was hashtag COVID life. Okay, that's, that's the only reason there's been growth in that area. Anyway, this show is about a high school football team. And of course, they're trying to win, like all teams. And that's what these sports shows are about. And so they have this mantra that they cheer together, like teams often have. And if you've seen it, maybe you remember. It's clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. They cheer that. Sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. But that's their encouragement mantra. So watch this clip for a second in case you missed that TV show like JD helped correct in my life. <laughs> clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. <laughs> Does, that, does anybody else just feel like cringy when you see them all touching that dirty wall, right? That's hashtag COVID life also. Uh, so, okay, so this is mantra that they have, all right? Clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. And I, I know that we're not trying to win a high school football game, but I do feel like some days somebody's tackling me from behind and I didn't know they were coming. And I also sometimes feel like I'm running straight into linebackers. So that's where I'm at some days in the midst of all this. And so if these guys had this mantra to get them through, maybe we need to have a mantra to get us through. And so this is going to be my mantra for all of us, our cheer from Colossians 3. All right? I'm not going to make you all cheer it, but 
Eyes up, all in, real life, okay? Eyes up, all in, real life. We're not going to all cheer it right now, but I'm going to give you a prize if you can come up and cheer it like a football player at me at the, at the block party today. I don't know what the prize is yet, but it's going to be really good. So I get it's kind of cheesy, but perhaps, you know, desperate times call for desperate cultural references. I don't know. Anyway, eyes up, all in, real life. So eyes up. Don't miss what God is doing around us. It's like you're driving in your car and you're looking at your dashboard because you need to see how fast you're going, do you have gas, all those kinds of things. But if you kept your eyes on the dials, you wouldn't see what's happening right in front of you. So I really think as we, as we process what it means in our life, what does it look like for us to, yes, keep track of what's going on down here, but at the same time, keep our eyes up, observant to see what's going on around us. And you know what? When you're driving a car, too, you can't look too far off in the distance or you'll miss uh, an important thing going on with the traffic, right? We get so caught up on the future and thinking about, oh, what about after this crisis is over? What about post-COVID and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I get that, but that's another form of escapism of just trying to escape what God might be doing right now. What might God want to do in you and through you in this actual time? Growth is always an option when we're under pressure. In fact, you could argue that it's harder to grow when there isn't pressure. That pressure is actually the thing that helps strengthen us if we choose a growth mindset. Okay, so eyes up. Next, all in. Verse 3 in that message translation, your old life is dead, your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Are there parts of our lives that we haven't truly given to Jesus? Are there parts that aren't actually under the leadership of Jesus? I really want us to all pause and just think about that. What are some areas of our life that we're trying to say we're all in, but we're holding some things back? Sometimes there's a part of me, I'll admit, that actually believes for a minute that I know better that I will be just fine if this or that part of my life is actually still handle, I'm handling on my own with my own strength. And if I'm honest, I sometimes, frankly, I like the idea of keeping the control and not wanting to give it to God. That's where I'm at sometimes. And Paul actually takes most of the rest of Colossians to specifically point out an area of our lives that a lot of us struggle to put under the leadership of Jesus. And that's the area of relationships in our lives. We struggle sometimes to truly give that to Jesus. Our families, our households, our kids, our parents, our siblings, how we relate to people that we're angry with, our extended families, our roommates, how we treat those who might feel like outsiders from a community of faith. All these power dynamics that are going on, trying to relate to one another, there was a lot of that power dynamic going on in that Roman culture at the time. And so I see that many people struggle to surrender this area of life to Jesus. And so if you're feeling that way, you are not alone. We can, we can just believe these things. It's tempting for us to think things like, look, we can work through these struggles in our marriage on our own. We're smart people. Yeah, not, I'll just speak for the O'Briens. We need Jesus, okay? Or maybe you think, you know what? Those family members who you know you're going to blow like a political gasket at them in about a month, I don't need to surrender that part of my life to Jesus. Yeah, we're going to have to think again about that because that is going to need some serious wisdom. And many parents and educators, for that matter, we're all pretty anxious, right, about what's going on about school this fall. We need some wise plans to be made right away. But are we surrendering this situation to Jesus' leadership in our lives? Why do we expect that the people around us will have access to God's wisdom if we're not asking for access to God's wisdom in our own lives? Inviting God's Spirit to guide you in your parenting, to guide you as you think about your job, as you go into these relational realities. This is complicated. I don't even know what is supposed to happen. 
But if you have not stopped to pray for wisdom and trust and patience about that situation or about how things are going with your kids, that has to be a top priority this week. We must receive love and grace from God if there's any hope to love our children well or to love other people in our family well. If we're going to offer them grace, we got to receive that first. Are we all in? Are we all in? Imagine uh, this picture, okay? I put this, this picture of a scone up here for you. Imagine one of these scones, okay? Imagine you're eating them, not if you're gluten-free, but if you're, if you're into scones. Imagine you're eating it and you love it. It tastes so good. But now imagine that someone didn't put all the sugar in. All right, so let's just say they put in only half of the sugar, okay? Well, this is what my roommate Kara did for a special brunch we had about a decade ago. She made a dozen scones with half the sugar in them, and we had all these guests, and everyone was so Minnesotan that nobody said anything about it. We just, like, choked down these chalky scones. It was rough. Listen, okay, I know it's a weird illustration, but giving your life to Jesus is an all-in kind of thing. So if you feel like your relationship with Jesus is missing something, maybe it tastes metaphorically like a chalky scone sometimes, then maybe you're not putting it all in. Maybe there's something that's not all in. It looks like it should taste right. Those scones looked pretty, didn't they? These ones at the party looked really great. But if we don't have everything in, it's not going to be right. It's not going to be as good as it might look. Are there parts of your life you haven't completely surrendered to Jesus? So that brings us to the last thing. Eyes up, all in, real life, real life. Right in those verses, Paul says, your old life is dead, your new life, which is your real life, it's invisible to other people, but it's with Christ. I think that invisibility thing is hard for us because we like to think that the, the things we put effort into and the things we care about are going to be seen by other people or maybe even that we would be able to measure it better in our own life. But what God is doing in and through us is so much more important than what it might look like on the outside. And what it looks like on the outside can be deceiving. I think social media has proved that point pretty well by now. And so it comes back to this wisdom and maturity. What can God do in us when we're under pressure? Choosing a growth mindset even when it's challenging. This question keeps coming up in my mind. What do we hope is true of us at the end of this crisis? As individuals, as families, as a church, our life in Jesus is what Paul is saying is our real life. If we think that we can separate some of our life from the leadership of Jesus, that's not real. That's pretending. The last thing I want to share is just about many of you. I know you watched the memorial service that we had yesterday for Judah Johannes, who was a Mill City kid who lived only 13 months. He was born with this congenital heart disease. It was really heartbreaking. And if you're just hearing that story for the first time, they had their memorial service yesterday. And his parents, Abdiwak and Brittany, have been a part of our community for a long time. And they've never faced anything as challenging as what they just faced in their life. And I sat with them out here in the back of the commons earlier last week, and I have to say, listening to them was heartbreaking, but it was also amazing to hear their stories. They were so raw and open with me. They were talking about how hard it's been to feel on and off just angry with God, just ticked, and, and how even though they felt angry, you know, they named God, they named Judah, they named Judah after the phrase, praise God. And so they were saying, you know, even when we're angry, we still are called to praise God. And they shared about all these ways that God's strength carried them through living in the hospital for 14 months because they lived with him there too. And the paradox of the pain that they've experienced and then the deep hope that they have was really profound. I don't know many other people who've gone through as much pressure as them, but they were just oozing with wisdom and maturity. And I reflected after spending that time with them, I was like, that conversation, that was real. 
That was real life. I know they wish this wasn't their real life, but that was real. And I shared at Judah's memorial uh, that the most meaningful things in life, perhaps the most real things in life, are not the either or, the good and the bad, but the both and, the things that feel like they could be a paradox in life. Sorrow and joy, tragedy and beauty, pain and love. God is a both and God. And our real life is not found in the either or. Real life is in the both and, because God is at the depth of our sorrow and God is in the height of our joy. And this is a both and season for a lot of us, isn't it? I think that this means that it has a potential to bring so much depth and meaning if we let it. What will you let God grow in you in this season? That might be invisible to spectators, as Paul says. How might God grow wisdom and maturity in you while you're under pressure? Maybe it's spiritual growth. Maybe it's the ability to see God moving. Maybe it's the ability to be a peacemaker. Maybe it's growth in thinking really well about complex things as a Jesus follower. Maybe it's self-awareness. Maybe it's empathy for other people. What might God want to develop in your life that is deep and real? So here's my three questions I want to leave you with before we go into this time of worship. All right, eyes up. Are your eyes to the ground or do you have your eyes up to see what God is doing right now? All in, are there parts of your life you haven't completely surrendered to Jesus? And real life, what may God want to develop in your life that is deep and real? These are the questions I want you to take with you into this week because I think this is how we can live under pressure. Eyes up, all in, real life.